Hello, friends. Welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly podcast where we explore the 2,000-year-old Catholic intellectual tradition. Um, I'm Dr. Benjamin Smith, lecturer in philosophy with Catholic Studies Academy. Very excited today to have uh, two guests uh, with us. Joe Grossheim, who's been with us before, is a student at the uh, Center for Thomistic Studies in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, for the first time appearing um, on our podcast, uh, Philip Burns, uh, another student, graduate student at the Center for Thomistic Studies in Houston, Texas. I guess it's a good place, huh? Seems like it, yes. Seems like it. I know, as a matter of fact, I'm a graduate from the Center for wow. Thomistic Studies. Uh, look at that. <laughs> wow, this is, this is the center, uh, there's a theme here, right? <laughs> um, we're really excited to have uh, you guys on today to talk about um, uh, sort of the intersection of philosophy and economy. And um, uh, Philip's, uh, you know, sort of interest uh, in um, you know, sort of his dissertation, I think that he's working on here, right. is uh, uh, focused on the idea of um, a humane economy or developing a humane economy. Uh, but why don't you just start, get started by talking a little bit about yourself, um, what's your interest, your background, what are you up to? Good, thank you, Dr. Smith. Well, first of all, again, it's a, it's a pleasure for me to be here, so thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. Uh, so no, uh, so my, my uh, particular background, at least regarding uh, so regarding philosophy, it started when, uh, so I was in the seminary while I was back in, in New Orleans. You know? okay, okay. Uh, and that's when I first started, when I discerned out of formation, I started teaching. After mm-hmm. I'd been teaching for a while, I made my way to Houston uh, for, for my PhD in philosophy. It was just something I, I really got into uh, while I was in priestly formation. Sure, yeah. Uh, but it was around, when I first started getting into the notion of like economics, was around uh, 2014. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was the first time that I went up to the Acton Institute summer conference okay interesting All right 2014 and so that's when i i really started kind of being exposed to i guess a wider uh element of of these ideas and i've kind of kept going back you know i've picked up you know, numbers of books and articles mm-hmm. and, and all that over the years and i've just kind of i used to think about it for fun mm-hmm. uh, until i needed a dissertation topic right? <laughs> sure so, so all right I, I think i can i think i can do this kind of reading Reading the lay of the land, I sort of see uh, sort of a, a, a general map, and I think certain certain issues and problems that maybe I've come to to identify that I think uh, a really solid Thomistic Aristotelian interpretation of of these notions I think can resolve some of some of the the tensions or at least tensions in different approaches that I think that I've seen kind of okay. o- over the years. That's great. And what and uh, what are you uh, doing professionally right now? Besides being a graduate student. Besides uh, being a graduate student. So I am very fortunate now. I'm one of the founding faculty at the Collegium Sanctorum Angelorum in Hagerstown, Maryland. It's awesome. Uh, It's been it's been very very awesome. We are Mm. right now still the only four year liberal arts uh, college uh, that's that's geared towards order towards the formation for traditional Catholic families. We kind of again kind of Mm. looked around. Uh, maybe we, you know, we'll talk about entrepreneurship in a little bit, but you know, look mm-hmm. around and see that there's this need that mm-hmm. seems to not not be met any uh, anywhere else. Uh, and a lot of these other these uh, liberal arts high schools that are that mm-hmm. are kind of coming into the forefront, sure. a lot of sure. them don't have a place to continue that sort of formation, mm-hmm. uh, especially true. especially within a certain type of liturgical preference, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's that's been awesome. We're in our second year of operation here in Maryland. We have applications coming in even for next year. Honestly, it's it's been very very good. Very pleased to be a part of this. That's great. It sounds like an exciting project. It has um, been. You know, you mentioned the Acton Institute, uh, Phil. And that's one of those. You know, I mean, uh, the Acton Institute has a uh, is a is a 
I would say a player, right? Uh, it is a, it's a key institution, I would say, in the American Catholic Church uh, in particular. Um, but, you know, sort of broadly in this sort of ongoing discussion, I think, that goes on in our circles, um, Catholic intellectual circles, uh, about economics and, the you know, the, the best, um, you could say, maybe the, the form of economic practice that's most consistent, say, with Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're not going to take a, a theological approach here. We're going to be focused on philosophy, but still, that's part of the discussion, right? In a full sure. sort of full orb Catholic sort of uh, yeah. uh, intellectual um, uh, debate. And, and you know, there, I would, would say I think there are good folks, uh, good people on, on you know, both sides in this issue. There's some people who are more critical of free markets and capitalism uh, sure. and, and, um, and some who are, you know, more in favor of free markets and capitalism. Interestingly, often I find this a really fun part of it. Um, interestingly, a lot of them appeal to Aristotle and Thomas on opposite sides, <laughs> right? true. which is to me that's what makes a really good debate, right? Yes. When you have both sides claiming to be Aristotelian and yeah. Thomas, right, uh, and it, nevertheless they are, um, you know, sort of proposing different theses. That, that's not universally uh, the case, but uh, at least that's uh, certainly a lot of people uh, refer to Aristotle and Thomas uh, and their work on this matter. Would you mind, Phil, just kind of giving us a lie of the land here, or like? Who are the the major? What are the major positions? Maybe some people who uh, represent those positions. Um, you know, like how do they agree, disagree? A little bit of a taxonomy. Yeah. So, in in general, I think for for maybe our purposes here, I'll distinguish. Let's just say three okay. major three major positions, and I'll leave one off in in the secular sphere. Uh, in the secular sphere, you have the still the basic distri- uh, distinction between we'll put the Marxism on okay. one side, uh, so socialism, communism, and kind of their academic adherence. And you have the sort of neoclassical. Okay. Uh, so this, it kind of can be a, the combination then of Keynesianism, uh, okay. Aust- the, the Austrian economics, mm-hmm. the Chicago school economics, okay. which all of those sort of identified themselves really in opposition to Keynesianism, whatever. And that's, okay. that's kind of going on in the, in the secular sphere. Mm-hmm. In sort of our circles, Catholic intellectual circles, you do have um, you have players like the Acton Institute that's sort of on the side of we can call them free markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they tend to lean more towards uh, you can call it capitalism. Although I suppose we'll, we will have to clarify mm-hmm. that. Term, yeah, right? I think that's important. Uh, mm-hmm. It is. Uh, so let's for the moment let's leave it at at free markets, but coupled with uh, a sort of substantial view of human flourishing. Right, that mm-hmm. recognizing that this isn't just for the pursuit of money, it's actually about human well-being. Right? But okay. they, see, they see the market mechanism as being the best way to, to sort of achieve that end. Um, on the other hand, in sort of Catholic intellectual circles, you have what's they kind of are known as the distributist school, mm-hmm. right? And this was popularized and kind of originates with uh, thinkers like uh, Chesterton and Belloc, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes into sort of the popular thinkers now, Thomas Thorpe, John Madai, and uh, they have, uh, and I, I want to interpret, you know, as, as charitably as possible, uh, a more top-down sort mm-hmm. of approach, a more centralized governmental approach with concerning the distribution of property, okay. right? Not incorrectly, uh, they do view that um, human good individual's good is probably best pursued when they are in control of the of the means of production to look after mm-hmm. their own well-being 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they, to maybe put a, a kind of, to maybe make this distinction then they don't trust something like the free market mechanism as much as somebody, let's say from the Acton Institute would or something like that. For the distributists, there's a more active role for the state in actually directing individuals and, and groups to, to, uh, to their good, right? And that's, that's sort of where that, that distinction comes from. Okay. Gotcha. And then you said there was a, uh, well, just to clarify here, with the 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 sort of um, capitalist pro market sort of uh, approach here, it is connected, uh, um, say in your own mind or I guess in the mind of its proponents, with an idea of human flourishing, right? right. Um, now, do they see that like as a? I'm kind of curious about how they see that relationship. Mm -hmm. Is it that in pursuing human flourishing? you will favor free market approaches to economy because you're virtuous or something like that? Mm -hmm. Or is this more of a means to an end kind of thing? As in, um, it's it's good to have free market solutions here. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we should probably just say something what you mean exactly by free market. Um, it's, it's, we, should, we should opt for free market solutions usually because if they're more productive of, of virtue. That's, I don't know that necessarily uh, not productive of virtue. Or facilitate or right? foster. Even. Or even, the, even to the question of virtue, that would be interesting to think about for a second. Um, but certainly the, the favoring of the market mechanism is because it seems to be the most efficient and the most productive way to achieve at least the material element of human flourishing. It's the best way okay. to achieve prosperity, material prosperity. And, and some people I imagine think that that is the extent of human flourishing. This is true. Um, what what that's, do you think? Well, I, uh, obviously I, I would disagree with that. Um, but this goes back to, okay, when you talk about then, all right, what is that notion of human flourishing? And you mm -hmm. go through some of those questions Aristotle lays out at the beginning of the ethics, right? Is, is the human good found in something like just the pursuit of money? Mm -hmm. right? And that's true. There are a lot of people around still today that actually still hold that view, right? It's mm -hmm. uh, what we've, you know, Elon Musk has been making all the, the news, you know, at Twitter and stuff like that. But one of the mm -hmm. things he's known for is a sort of like work mentality, right? Mm -hmm. You work nights, weekends, like you kind of, it, it's a, it's a live to work, right? Mm -hmm. And well, if, if you see the human good as being purely material, then, mm -hmm. that's, then that mindset makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you kind of, and this is what Aristotle brings to the table, when you see that, well, money is just a means to some further end. Right, and, nothing, right. and so obviously it's not sought for its own sake. Well, then you have to start asking the questions of, all right, fine, what am I working for? Mm -hmm. What is the, right? And that's when you, you have to start developing uh, a real notion of human good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's okay. that's kind of how you know I would think about that. Now on the other side of this with the distributors, how would they see the relationship between human flourishing and and their okay. sort of preferred economics? So if you want to say again yeah. um, that in in many cases a distributist would say something like, um, well, tell me why are they called distributors? That that, that would help. 
Yeah. So they, they take their name from the, so their, their starting principle is mm-hmm. from the standpoint of distributive justice, right? So they Correct. take, and this mm-hmm. seems to be, this is where Aristotle starts out. This is general justice in what book, book five, mm-hmm. right? Of the ethics. Uh, and he's, so he starts with this, this principle of the, the distribution of the common material goods in society. And the first kind of common material good in society is at least the land, right? Mm-hmm. That everybody has. And so that this should be justly distributed among among the citizens, followed by other forms of property, right? Variously, variously defined. Okay. And so that's their starting starting point with the notion of mm. distribution. Okay. I'll come back maybe later to why I, I don't think that that's the best starting point, but this is where at least they take their name from. Now, kind of how they how they approach this issue, uh, the way that um, the way that I, at least that I've read them. So we talked a bit about uh, how a number of, you know, these various followers of Thomas and Aristotle, you know, mm-hmm. they, we all kind of cite back to, to Thomas and Aristotle, right? So what the distributors see, and again, not, not wrongly, they, they see this rightly, we know, um, and I, uh, I don't know how far some of maybe our listeners might be familiar with the distinction of the speculative and practical sciences. Why don't you go ahead and explain for us? Yeah. So we know that the, uh, the speculative sciences are where it takes their name from is the truths of these sciences are just to be looked at, specula, right? And, and to mm-hmm. be contemplated. And these are like the, the truths of nature, the truths of mathematics, the truths of metaphysics, right? There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do with this knowledge. It's just perfective of the intellect to know about the world, right? It's causes mm-hmm. and it's causes and principles and the way that things, the way that things are, right? It, it's the knowledge of the way that things are. The practical sciences and the arts, on the other hand, concern those things that can be done by human agents or made mm-hmm. by, by human agents, right? And this is, and so they, they rightly see, and even you kind of, even knowing that distinction, you, st- you start to get the general feel that of course, economics falls under the, the practical science part, right? It, it concerns then how human beings go about trying mm-hmm. to pursue their, right now, the, the good for human being, that's given by the science of the human person, right? The, the mm-hmm. philosophy, of, philosophy of the person, one of the speculative sciences, right? Mm-hmm. But how you go about adapting means to ends in the pursuit of that, right? It's even in that sort of definition. It's, it's how you adapt this. It's how you do this, right? It's how you make market functions, things like this. So clearly this sort of falls into uh, the, spec, the, the practical science uh, and, and art distinction mm-hmm. here. And so what the distributors see then is given that that's the case, they stand back and they would say something like, well, we know that the good of the human person, right? The, the reason that they work, right? Is to produce some of the, the right food, clothing, shelter, the things that are at least materially necessary so that they can go on for a well-lived life. Right? Mm-hmm. And then given that's, that's the case, where I think they start to trip up, right? Is in then sort of discounting the sort of structure that is inherent within economics itself, right? Mm-hmm. That we come to see through the centuries of, of looking at the way human beings interact in this fashion. Mm-hmm. But they would say, well, we know that the human good consists in something this, uh, like a, a concrete question is, is the, mat- the, the living wage, right? Sure. Okay. Uh-huh. A lot of distributors that I, I know or some that I've spoken to, they would favor something like a mandated minimum wage because this is just what it takes to live well. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And fine. Like I, I get on the level of principle, I understand that they're seeing this correctly. Where I think they start to mess up where the rubber hits the road, as it were, is in discounting some of the proper mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so it's been 
pretty well documented, I think, but you can go through the list of, well, when governments mandate minimum wage, that usually doesn't turn out the way that you wanted it to, mm-hmm. right? right? It, it's, sure. it, it often has an, an even counterintuitive effect and actually can make things worse, right? That's right. Not yeah. all the time, but mm-hmm. in, in enough often. times that it's, yeah, it's often enough that it's worth mm-hmm. commenting upon. Right. So the, the, the key di- difference I see here as you're explaining this uh, is that, you know, the distributists want, um, they recognize that, say, a living wage is um, a necessary part of human flourishing um, or something like a living wage. Um, and And therefore, we're going to have it or something like it distributed by the political authority Mm -hmm. to, or the means to it, right. Mm -hmm. To the parts of the political community. Whereas the other side is going to say, might also say, yeah, we do need a living wage in order to flourish, but we're going to um, trust the mechanism of the free market to distribute that. So you have a, you know, a free market creating the distribution of the means to living well, Mm-hmm. versus a command structure right yes towards the and that means it seems to be well. yeah and that it seems to be or at least generally speaking again there there are always exceptions in terms of practicalities mm-hmm. uh, but that generally it's the most efficient and most productive way of achieving this end with also and this is important too the least amount of what economists will call the unintended consequences of your mm-hmm. action mm-hmm. right and that's what i think a lot of that when you start looking at the actual the appropriate structure, the proper structure of economics itself, mm-hmm. a lot of it tends to look at that aspect too, which is mm-hmm. why command economies or more centralized economies, they tend to just be practically not very effective is because there are always unintended consequences that you don't see, mm-hmm. can't foresee, right? The, I mean, markets are too big. There are too many agents interacting, right? Mm-hmm. And anything that you do is going to have ramifications down the road, right? And very often uh, kind of an overexertive centralized mm-hmm. authority isn't as effective as you might think at the outset, right? There's certainly a role for it. And this is again, where I would, I would also part ways with the libertarians, right? Who, even the ones who do recognize something resembling a, some sort of human good, they, they tend Sometimes, as uh, Joe, you mentioned, maybe to see material flourishing as just the the end, right? And mm-hmm. so, they, and then it's just this sort of completely hands off. Free markets are the best ways to make money, and that's what this mm-hmm. is for. So you just let people, you just let people have at it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I think clearly, you also then have to see that if uh, if economics is about human action, and we know human actions proceed from a deliberate will. Mm-hmm. And will is towards the good. Right? That's what subjects all of this to moral consideration, to moral mm-hmm. judgment. Uh, and so, I think you have to part ways with the libertarians there as well. Sure. I want to. I want to. I think this is worth dwelling on. Uh, okay. It's a good question. I think most people are familiar with, and I think most people will see that there is a, at least a strong possibility for this sort of top-down overreach problem that you're mm-hmm. pointing out. Um, but I, I think a lot of people will struggle to see how we could turn to a free market as any sort of help. It seems like a very haphazard way to go about securing the material needs for human flourishing. Yeah, something yeah. that's necessary, right? It's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is interesting. And uh, so one of the things I've, I've kind of been thinking about for a little bit, um, one of the first 
first thoughts I've I've had on this, there there are two things I, I would say. First, it seems to me, and I haven't done much more work in refining this argument than the last time we talked about it, but I think the general argument still holds that the natural the natural state of market economies is a free one. Uh, and I argue something along the lines of, uh, so you guys are familiar, but maybe we might need to summarize, right? Aristotle argues that the, the polis, the city, is natural because it's necessary to, uh, for human beings to achieve their, their common good, their, their true good. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not something that they can achieve on their own. Uh, they need this sort of assistance of the city to achieve this good. And Aristotle argues that anything that's necessary for the achievement of a natural end is itself natural. Okay. Well, we know, and I think so this parallel case, right? We, we know that most people are not able to produce for themselves, right? Even, even people that have their own farms and stuff like that, right? They're, they're not able to produce for themselves all that they need, even materially, mm -hmm. for their, for their, for their well-lived life. Sure. So given that this is the case, they have to either, they either have to produce it themselves, which most people can't, or they have to barter, trade, or exchange in order to acquire those things that they they, that they do need, right? Yeah. And sorry. Go ahead, no, go ahead. Okay, right. And so this is this is that first stage of the kind of market, right? Is I I know that I I can't, uh, you know. So obviously, for a well lived life, you need good pipe tobacco, like Doctor Smith is <laughs> utilizing currently, Damn right sure. now. As if I'm, am I correct in assuming that you don't grow your own? tobacco no this is going in virginia right? yeah right um so so you have to then do something you have to produce something either that mm -hmm. can be traded directly or yeah. that traded for a medium money right money, it can yeah. then be used to do this right okay but this all has so not every you might not have something that ever just anybody else needs they might not have something that just you know or just uh any, just anybody might not have the things that you mm. need, right? And so on where I'm going is then this sort of, sort of uh, this natural market of association where you can go with your product and go, well, I know that I need this. What's this series of exchanges that I need to make to, to, to get to the end, right? Sure. And, those, well, so, and that requires a sort of natural freedom on the part of the agent. Okay, so I have an objection here. Yeah. A counter, a counter uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to this. Um, what you've argued for, and I think correctly, and I've done so, I use this kind of argumentation to try to demonstrate the inadequacy of the family, which sounds bad at first, but you get yeah, the point, right? <laughs> <laughs> or the village, if you prefer. Um, really, are the all that you're really arguing, though, for here is the division of labor. Uh, you're demonstrating the division, the, the necessity of divided labor. It doesn't follow that that has to be freely exchanged. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have uh, a command economy in which, you know, we distribute the jobs out and, you know, Joe is the farmer yep. and uh, I'm the overseer and Philip makes shoes. I like that, that arrangement there. So and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we all get what we need. Mm. Right. But, um, you know, yeah. we need food, we need shoes, we need somebody to oversee things. Yeah. Uh, so we all get what we need, but uh, yeah. not through a free exchange. Yeah. Not through a voluntary okay. So this brings me then to this sort of second point uh, yeah. that I that I that I was going to make, right? All right. So first, you have here. So the one I I, I wonder if this is significant, but it might not be for the purposes of your objection, uh, because the market arises prior to any sort of political authority, 
right? I mean, the, the market arises at the level of the village prior to, again, so like prior to the state, prior to any sort of control. Uh, but that might not be relevant. So I'll, I'll leave it aside. Maybe, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we can come back. So I'll leave it aside. Okay. But you have the, the, the first notion of, uh, so when Thomas talks about when agents act for an end, right? This is the, one of the first places he, he mentions this notion of human freedom. Okay. Right? Is that you have to be determined towards some end in order to act, right? If you're, if you're not determined more to mm -hmm. this, this end rather than that end, sure. then you just wouldn't do anything at all, okay? But that means that you have to have the understanding of, of the end that in a certain sense is, is proper to you, all right? So you know how much pipe tobacco you need. You know how many shoes that you need for your household, mm -hmm. something like, like that, yeah. right? You know how many shirts, blah, 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 right? Something that's not suited to be distributed by a command economy, right? This is this is part of that knowledge problem uh, that some of the the neoclassical economists mm -hmm. do write about, right? Is so that there are too many moving parts and there are too many individual agents who need enough different things that this isn't uh, this is not well coordinated from a central location. It's one of the so Mary Hirschfeld, an Harvard economist. Uh, talks about this sort of counterintuitive central insight, and again, this is this is repeated by this is um, this is Adam Smith in in the Wealth of Nations makes this remark. She makes this remark. Novak, Samuel, Greg, um, Thomas Sowell. I mean, this is sort of a a well recognized point, and this is where I this is where I come to that sort of material flourishing. Empirically, and this is this is the question, right? When you're when you're dealing about these sort of practical, these practical questions, then you you look at how this turns out, right? Okay. Are the command-centered economies that we've seen, do they tend to get the job done when it comes to getting resources to the people who need them? Okay. When you look around at the history of command economies, the answer to that seems to be they don't seem to be that good at it. On the other hand, when you look at market mechanisms, right, for whatever else you would want to say about it, and there are certainly a good number of legitimate criticisms that can be leveled against the market mechanism, right? Don't shy away from that. But also, nowhere else do you see the many being enriched the way they've been, mm -hmm. other than mm -hmm. the, the the market mechanism. And it seems to be because it's this odd, right? So Smith and he's been kind of ridiculed for it, but you know, uh, Adam Smith came up with this, that term, you know, the invisible hand, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's been ridiculed by others throughout, throughout the ages. But can of, you explain uh, that to me real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the idea, really, all that I'm trying to explain is that um, given individual action, right, when each individual agent acts mm -hmm. for, their, for their particular good, it actually turns out that the good of the whole is sort of accidentally pursued as well. Okay. And that's what he means. It's almost like there's this invisible hand sort of guiding the rest of it, right? If I'm doing, if I'm pursuing what's good for me and Joe, you're pursuing what's good for you and Dr. Smith, you know, what's good for you. What's it, really actually, good, right? This is true, right? Yeah, and yeah, good, you do important. have to, you do have to qualify <laughs> for that. But even, even if you wanted to just take it down to the level of material prosperity for a second, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm just trying to get rich and you're trying to get rich and you're trying to get rich, it actually, if everybody in the city is doing this, city's going to be quite wealthy 
right? It just seems to happen not necessarily, but as a sort of accidental, uh, sort of an accidental consequence, right? But it's true that the same would happen if, Joe, as you, you just mentioned, right? If you have a true notion of the good, right? Um, that if each agent is pursuing what's truly good, and sort of per accidens, the good of the whole gets pursued as well. This is what I was just thinking. I think I think that's important to that that we have to be pursuing what's really good because if if I'm not and I'm really just trying to enrich myself, yeah, and I have no other limitations. Um, yep, I I can I can enrich all three of us as long as we uh, enslave a thousand people each, right? So sure. Like it doesn't if, even if, have to be that extreme either, but yeah. Well, it doesn't. Sure. Yeah, but like there's lots of ways. You just which, use uh, child labor. Let's do that one. Yeah, well, yeah. All right, we can use child <laughs> labor or whatever, right? Um, yeah. Sweatshops or whatever you like. Um, but it seems like without any sort of moral limitations on it, this is true. Um, I could bring much wealth into the city, but it would be consolidated in the hands of a few. Mm. And I think uh, I think a lot of folks have a problem with that. Yeah. Right. And this is why. So, OK. Right. So, yeah, you bring up an excellent point, And that's 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 right. Right. Because if, if we end up pursuing something that's uh, not truly good, then, yeah, we, we might the city might be materially prosperous, but it's going to be it's going to be morally rotten. It's going to be morally corrupt. And you're going to have um, very much like people have mentioned, a sort of the sort of mentality that's very pervasive in our culture today. Right. Mm-hmm. You have a you have an entire generation of younger workers who they say, right? I mean, like the, for them, the American dream, it's gone. Right. They were they were told that hey, all you have to do is go to college, get a job, and you'll be successful. Right. And now they're burdened with so much debt. The prices of everything is just going right through the roof. Right. And there's mm-hmm. this general, and even though materially, it's stupid how prosperous this country is, right? Right. But morally, I think everybody, even even uh, even on the people that uh, even on the level of those who don't necessarily see a connection of ethics with politics, the way we see it, even they recognize that something is something is empty, right? Um, even and this was a 2018 book, uh, but they even talk about the the subtitle being our empty economy, mm. right? It's just it's sort of known. And so, all right. So to your point, right? If we're not pursuing what's truly good, then you're right. Right, then, then the rest of this, it actually, it actually ends up sort of corrupting the whole system, which is sort of the central point I've, I'm, I'm trying to like bring back in my own thinking, my own writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you have authors like, so, um, you know, Michael Novak and Samuel Gregg, all these guys, they explicitly say, I mean, I'm almost using their exact words, right? That truly free markets cannot function outside of a virtuous or ethical society. And you read that and you're like, wow. That's really insightful. And then they go on to not talk at all about how these virtues and morals are actually derived, right? It's completely yeah. separated from what we would call a formal notion of the common good. Mm. Right. Some of them stick with a very uh, material definition of the common good, mm-hmm. right? And, up, and like, okay, that's good, but that's only half of the story, mm-hmm. right? If we're not actually using... Um, and I, maybe this is the next point I'll say, but I don't want to. I don't want to dominate the conversation. But uh, if you're using a mechanism, the mechanism also has to be used well, right? Because right? sure, it's sure. it's possible yeah, to yeah. misuse a mechanism, right? Yeah. And that's where a lot of this. Uh, that's where a lot of these tensions come from. Yeah, that's good. So I think 
Gosh, there's so much here. Um, <laughs> there the, is. Um, can I? Can I find to find you know to wrap up? So I was talking about the distinction between the the practical sciences, okay. speculative mm -hmm. sciences, and, and the arts. And this is one of the. Um, it's kind of funny. Father Shaw says in his book, you shouldn't talk about something before you've written it down because. Mm -hmm then you've talked, the, the drive to write it will have been spent in the talk, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm about to talk about something I haven't written yet. <laughs> so, but this was something I, so I was reading in uh, Charles McCoy, right? Who's great, great political Thomist for if any mm -hmm. of the, you know, uh, the structure mm -hmm. of political thought, but one of his, he, one of the things he first starts out with is this notion of the practical sciences and the arts and so on. Okay. In the practice, so we, I've said the in the speculative sciences whose truths are just to be contemplated, right? The standard of truth is is in the conformity of the intellect with the way that things are, right? To think about mm -hmm. things as they are. In the practical sciences, the standard of truth is in the right will of the agent. You have to be willing what's good. For the arts, though, the standard is in the excellence of the thing made. And Thomas goes through this in mm -hmm. the, the commentary on the uh, Boethius' De Trinitate, right? Question five. The upshot of this, and this is where I think a lot of people miss, is that economics has a foot in both camps, right? As a form of human action pursuing their good, it has a foot in practical science and as such is subject to the, the moral will of the agent. You have to be willing what's properly good. But as an art, considering the, the making of the market mm -hmm. system and stuff, like it's also judged by the excellence of the system. Mm -hmm. And you have to have both of these things. Mm -hmm. Economics mm -hmm. is judged not only by the right intention of the agents, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you can have people intending the good all day long who are just tripping over themselves, messing, sure. you know, mm -hmm. messing everything up. It's also judged by the excellence of the system, right? This has sure. to be an efficient way of getting resources to the people who need them. Mm -hmm. But on the okay. other hand, you can't just judge it by that standard either, right? Because right? right. you can have a very yeah. efficient system. As Joe pointed out, though, it can be very efficient at concentrating resources in the hands of a few as well. Mm -hmm. right? So you've got to have both of those things. Sure. You know, that's a good way of, uh, of hashing it out. There are some technical questions, I think, about the nature of the sciences there. Maybe we can come back to at the end if we have time. But I think very important there, right? So, you know, you've got the excellent execution, right? And then the intention of the proper end, right? Of the good, right? Um, now, I do think in matters of action, right? Um, the question of the end is predominant um, because even judging efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The relative value of efficiency and the the boundaries, right, about what is going to be allowed as, as effective practice, right, um, are going to be drawn by the end, I think. Right. Um, so, you know, we 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 you know we we can't decide we're just going to enslave a fifth of the population of our own citizens just because it would actually be efficient. We'll just do a lottery, you know, whatever. So, um, and yeah, maybe that, maybe I don't know if that'd be efficient or not, but whatever, I'll just say it was. Um, so I guess I want to challenge here a little bit. Um, yeah. You feel on this then if we, if we have a, a clear articulation of the common good, mm -hmm. right. And I think that's actually vital here because even if some exchange happens beforehand, I do take political, uh, um, community uh to be architectonic yeah with respect to uh all of these activities yeah the first um, the first of the causes is the last that's right yeah so. and so it has to be brought i think clearly into view 
Um, now, my own view uh, or definition of it is something like, and I'm not particular about this, you could have it you know, somewhat different, but I think this is the pretty close to, to the right answer is it involves the uh, production and exchange of um, the, the virtuous production and exchange of uh, bodily goods, right? Um, that is the, uh, the the subject matter of the of the cardinal virtues, right? Um, is what's proper to the city, right, and proper to political community, right? Uh, bodily goods can be everything from marriage, right, to um, you know food, right, uh, and defense and things of that nature, right? So, um, if that's true, right, um, then. A system might be efficient abstracting from that, right? If we're going to have not just a material, but a formal definition. Um, but in comparison to that end, still inferior, right? To something that's less efficient materially. At least if that seems possible. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, right? Uh, you know, in other words, I might grant you that absent the formal character of the common good, that free market exchange is more efficient right, at producing material prosperity. But once we bring in the formality of it, namely that it has to be just and virtuous, then uh, even though capitalism is more efficient, uh, it's um, less good, <laughs> right? And that the distribution, albeit less efficient, how about this, is efficient enough. Mm -hmm. um, so let me give you a couple of examples of command economy that maybe we haven't considered. My family is run on a command economy. Yeah. We don't compete for goods and services within my family. Mm -hmm. I distribute them. Yes. Right? So, okay. Uh, this is true of every father, right? Uh, within his own family, right? And all the wealth is consolidated in the hands of a few. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's no competition for guns. <laughs> I mean, it's just, no, right? Um, so there's that. Let's think about one of the things that got the uh, an interesting example people don't uh, sometimes bring in. Um, uh, and this was actually a problem in the Middle Ages. The Cistercians were really good at being communist farmers, right? They were, uh, they became very wealthy. This is a real problem, right? <laughs> and that, uh, because they were actually really good at running their communal farms, right and tended to beat out the nearby layman which kind of pissed them off right and and made the local lords kind of angry right uh because they were acquiring more property through i would say maybe some concentration resources better accounting things whatever 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 it is right so there's a, another example another example of command economy is the military right uh, military uh, distributes goods and services in a command structure. Is it super efficient? Probably not. <laughs> is it efficient enough for the purpose, right? And here's the thing is, is that a commander on the battlefield doesn't really care if he had to pay 10 more dollars for, you know, for the toilet that he should have. Sure. What he wants to make sure is the shells are here when I need them, mm -hmm. right? Not did I get them at that best cost? Mm -hmm. Did you follow me, right? And now that's maybe... I don't know there's a lot of things you could say about that, right. but I, I could. Uh, so if I was to kind of give an abstraction, that an abstract account of what I'm saying is maybe I'm willing to give up a little high end efficiency mm -hmm. for a higher floor. Sure. 
right? And so, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, this isn't the most efficient distribution system, but given what the common good demands in terms of virtue, it's actually injustice. It's actually going to be accomplish the end better, even if it's not as cost effective. Yeah, and I don't think that that's, <laughs> it is. That Does is. that make sense when I'm trying to case? I wonder if make. I can ask a question, Dr. Smith, because I think sure. we have the same question and maybe I can sum it up. I was thinking as you were speaking earlier, Phil, that you said that economics has its foot in these two arenas, that it's both uh, a techne and a practical science, and that it's for the sake of some good, and the good is, is then measuring the techne is the way I'm understanding it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I think what Dr. Smith is asking, at least what I was wondering, is how far of a correction can that good as a measure make on your techne, on your system, right? Could the demands of the common good be such that it precludes market economy, even though market economy is more efficient at um, material welfare, it in pursuing material welfare fails to secure the full formality of the common good. Is that what you're asking, Dr. Smith? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, mean, I would just say you know, the only qualification is maybe um, we have a scale here of, of free market to distribute, but yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's, that's fine. Yeah. And that's the, I was the first thing, anytime you're dealing with just something that's on a scale and you're dealing mm-hmm. with matter of degree, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's going to be a little, it's going to be a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I suppose to maybe think of this in terms of generalities, because, you know, you both bring up a lot of points. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I wonder, too, so you, Dr. Smith, you started with like the notion of, of you know, your family, right? Every family mm-hmm. is a command economy, and it kind of should be that way, actually. Uh, and there are reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even everybody, uh, even the military to a certain, to a certain extent, uh, but all of these differ from the city. Mm-hmm. All of these differ from the polis by the nature of their order and composition. Sure. Right. So like, this is why this is, this is like the mistake of like Hobbes, right? We're not, we mm-hmm. do not all compose the, 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 the Leviathan, the state, the way that a family is composed. Right. Um, and so the, you have more there. And I suppose too, because families are primarily for the, it's for the, the production and the training of non-free agents, if you want to mm-hmm. call them, right? Yeah. Kill, or agents children. who should not rightly be left to their own devices. Yeah. Agents <laughs> who should not be left to their own <laughs> devices. Uh, this is what the family is for, right? Mm-hmm. But that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the polis, though, the city, this is an association of free and self-governing agents, or at least, right, on Aristotle's kind of conception of, of the polis, right, of self-governing. This is what he means by free people, right? Mm-hmm. Those who are capable of a certain level of virtue such that they are self-governing mm-hmm. right? and therefore can be rightly directed by a good regime, right? This is, mm-hmm. this is that notion. And so that very dynamic, I think is also, it's going to, it's going to have ramifications then for the way that these free and self-governing agents sort of do have mm-hmm. to interact and do have to, uh, and do have to compete for goods. And I, and I actually, I'll push back only for the sake of the argument, right? You talk, actually in your family, they do compete for goods. You just have to decide who needs more, right? Who actually needs the goods that you're distributing? But see, your family's small enough that you can do that, mm-hmm. right? You actually are in a position that you know the needs of mm-hmm. of every of everyone in 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 the family, right? Mm-hmm. This is why this is why that works well in families. But I mentioned like the knowledge problem earlier, right? Just as as mm-hmm. a practical matter, the states a, a state is far too large 
right? I mean, Aristotle put a limit of what about a hundred thousand people on the. I think he would he would he would die from laughter at the thought of the Republic of the United States having three hundred and fifty million people. He would no, right? That's too. That's just too large. There is no committee that could be large enough that could function quickly enough to get all of those data points together to determine who needs. What right, mm-hmm. and this is why in command economies you see stockpiled goods going to waste, mm-hmm. while other people aren't getting things that they need. Period. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's just it's that's a problem of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Something that does work at the level of family, right, mm-hmm. doesn't work at the level of the state, mm-hmm. right? and part of it is that is that uh, is that dynamic of the agents that are doing the acting, right. So yeah, so I guess Joe, to then your point, we were trying to summarize, right? Yeah, the the notion of what's truly good does provide a check on that mechanism. The mechanism is just there, like any other mechanism that tells you, right? If this is a good that you want to pursue, this is how you would do it. So I talked, right? Okay, so like I'm I'm here at the 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 Collegium in in Maryland, right? We're a liberal arts college. Arguably, we would be much more materially successful, right? If we were a trade school. Right. There's mm-hmm. there seems to be a much higher demand mm-hmm. among like, uh, you know, younger, younger students, whatever, if we were a trade school. Right. Successful However, in a certain sense, at least materially successful. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Money. We would have we would be on much more financially stable mm-hmm. ground if we were a trade school. Right. right. But we recognize like kind of in the sort of the length of the Catholic intellectual tradition, right, that there are higher goods to be pursued. Right. Mm-hmm. And even at the end of the day, whether, you know, plumber, welder, whatever, there is still the sake of, of a well-lived life. Right. And what, what do you do when you get home? Right. Why mm-hmm. is something like your family and spending time with them? Why is that important? Why is just looking up at the stars at night? Why is that meaningful? Why is good literature important? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's because we're committed to that idea. Right. That sort of notion of a higher good. Actually, again, it kind of provides that a little bit of that check on our mechanism of how we go about even recruiting students, how we, mm-hmm. how we market, how we do things like that. Right. So certainly uh, the notion of the good provides a check on the mechanism. The mechanism is just there as a mode of the efficiency of the best way to achieve whatever the end is. Mm-hmm. Right? Can, can and that's why. Up? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I think that's right. And I think uh, I'm thinking through the ethics here and and uh you remember milo the wrestler he's one of my favorite examples in yes, aristotle he's uh so it's a lot milo the wrestler needs more calories than joe grossheim the graduate student right and so yes. um he has a different eating regimen than i do yeah. and i'm wondering if certain economies need a different economic system than other economies because uh you're looking mm-hmm. at a good you have a good in mind and you're you have to select the appropriate means to achieve that good and different po- different political societies or different societies let me say that limit different societies are different materially and perhaps different formally and those differences might require a different system mm. in order to achieve uh perhaps the same end or perhaps the different ends right so mm. i was thinking about dr smith's examples uh the military has a very certain end which is uh would be frustrated by a market economy, right? Uh, the family the same way, but perhaps, um, perhaps in addition, the family is materially different because the uh, the kids are not suited to 
compete with each other over who gets to eat a sandwich and who doesn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there could be material and formal differences or differences in terms of telos or final causality that would separate out which system works. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if we can say that in every polis, wherever, that the a freer market economy is going to be the better system? Or do we have to yeah. step back and, and be willing to say that some, some political societies are so different that they might require mm-hmm. something more on the side of a command economy? Yeah. I think at the, on the one hand, on the level of principle, I think you would have to grant something like that, especially if you were to take, so I've got some of the guys that I've cited already, like Michael Novak, Samuel Gregg, mm-hmm. like they're, they're very words that like a, a market economy can only survive in a mm-hmm. virtuous society. Like, well, gee, maybe that's why things aren't working out so well. Okay. So what kind of market do you, or what kind of economic structure? Uh, Cause there are different kinds of markets after all. Right. So what mm-hmm. kind of structure then do you have in a less than virtuous society? And, like, okay. mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. and this is why I sort of, I, then I kind of wonder about this, um, this notion be, uh, about economics, again, being something of a practical science and, and an art, right. So coming mm-hmm. back to, uh, distinction I made before, but coupled with what you were just saying. One wonders, and you talk about thinking through the ethics. I am, I'm one of those people uh, that, so I read the ethics as a whole. I actually think so that Aristotle's putting forward a vision that you, you have to have a certain amount of material wealth, mm-hmm. material comfort in order to start developing the virtues and going on to friendship and contemplation, right? Yeah, all the yeah. way through, through book 10. Right. So one wonders if, again, given if you were to step back for a second, and again, we're just looking at, if we're just looking at proportioning means to ends, mm-hmm. if command economies don't seem to be that great at allocating material resources, then it seems like they're never going to be on the road to anything further than that, right? Freer markets, right, that actually does put an emphasis on uh, the liberty of the individual agent to pursue their own good, it at least allows for material flourishing. Now done rightly, it helps you to open up the door to something further that then, all right, with a proper view of the human person, you can start to build the rest of, you know, our, our mm-hmm. virtuous city, right? Mm-hmm. But it seems like if, if you never get past the material aspect, then the, the rest of it doesn't seem to matter. Right. It, it, it seems, it seems it, difficult to. Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I mean, if you're starving, right, then, you know, you're 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 not going to be yeah, you know, in seem, terms, it's going to be hard to develop an excellent life. Right. You have an AI and things. And that right. seems to me uh, true. But it also seems to me that Sparta didn't starve, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not uh, a, that is a command economy. Um, and they certainly had enough food uh, to be fit for what they did. Now, as far as no ideal for you know, other reasons, but the, yeah. um, uh, you know, I also struck by Aristotle saying that you don't, that while you do need a sufficiency of material goods in order to flourish, he also says you don't need much. Yeah. Now there are That's some, true. there are some virtues that you, like you, it'd be hard to, you know, maybe practice munificence or magnanimity and some of those things, but even a, a relatively middling sort can throw a good party for his friends and you know you know that kind of thing now maybe you can't create a, a bath for the state or an arch triumph or something like that yeah. um but um yeah 
in any event. Um, yeah, how, how do you respond to those? Yeah. Um, actually, I would want to maybe sort of clarify your, your point just a little bit further uh, or ask for clarification because mm. uh, I have a general thought, but I want to make sure that I'm answering to your point. Mm. If you could say. Uh, it just, yeah, again, I guess we're kind of going back and forth here on degrees of efficiency here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. So granted that, that uh, it's more efficient and mm -hmm. granted your point that you do need a certain amount of material prosperity in yeah. order to flourish. Yeah. I'm saying you probably don't need much. Yeah, true. And and that a command economy could, I'm just guessing, that there are examples of some command economies that do enough to, to to get to keep you in the material sufficiency. Yeah. So it's one of those yeah, where it's sort of the double-edged sword, as it were, right? It's like the, the sort of market economy opens you up to a wider degree of material prosperity. That much mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be in question. I agree with that. It also yeah. opens you up definitely to those people that want to pursue wealth. I mean, that that's what they're going to do. Without qualification. Without qualification. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. right. If, if that is, if that is the end to them, mm -hmm. right. The difference here, and this is again, why I kind of wonder about this notion of you have to have a truly substantial notion of the human good, because we know that, right. The, the human good isn't something that's that uniform. Mm -hmm. right? So Sparta has a, right. They have a, it's kind of a very specific mm -hmm. common good, right. One wonders about the standard of real human flourishing in that sort of, mm -hmm. in that sort of uh, structure, right? And it's one of those, yeah, I wonder about if, if it's kind of one of those, a situation that let's say, uh, to maybe put it in some sort of Thomistic term that you have to tolerate in order to allow a greater degree of pursuit of goods among the mm -hmm. individual agents in a state, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. uh, again, all right, so as a, I don't know, maybe as an example, one of the things that market economies make possible that don't seem to be that possible, or at least historically weren't in other sorts of economic structures, is the idea of social mobility, right? If you were born to the son of a blacksmith, that's just what you were going to do for the rest mm -hmm. of your life, right? Mm -hmm. And yet in something, uh, one of the things that market economies have done very well, somebody, let's say, that actually is the son of a blacksmith might be brilliant, mm -hmm. given the right education, Right, given the mm -hmm. right opportunity and given the right freedom of mobility yeah. and motion, and then now you have you know your next brilliant professor sure. at whatever you know. Sure, I mean that's the that's the that's the that's the uh, upside, right? Yeah, uh, you're talking about, and I you wonder know, that if in order to get that upside, uh -huh. this is the idea, right? If there are certain certain things, then that you would have to tolerate. Right. Like, so mm. Thomas says certain, and he even puts it, Thomas puts it in very strong terms, right? He says, there are certain evils that you can tolerate. Mm. And I don't think this is necessarily an evil, sure. uh, but right. He says, there are certain evils that can be tolerated for the sake of cutting off or precluding a greater, greater evil, sure. evil the, or something um, like that. Um, right. So this the, is sort of a mirror. Like there is some, sure. like in order to allow for a greater pursuit of the mm. good among mm. various agents, if you just have to allow, some of them are going to stop at that level of just pursuing wealth without qualification. Mm. Now, there are things not so much just about the, the opportunity loss of social mobility upwards, but what about social mobility downwards? That happens too, right? It does in a market economy, right? I mean, being you're, being, I mean, 
being a blacksmith doesn't look so bad when you lost the blacksmith's position right. and now you're out there shoveling uh, mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're <laughs> like, man, it'd be pretty yeah. cool to be a blacksmith again. Right about now, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. This is one of the, this is also something interesting too. I've always been struck by, there's this comment that, that Hayek makes in the road to serfdom. And I know people paint mm-hmm. Hayek as like this, like free market, bare knuckle, no holds barred, whatever, just cut capitalist. And he actually yeah. makes this comment in the road to serfdom. He says, you know, uh, given this notion of like human dignity, and I don't think he uses mm-hmm. that term, but he does say in a country that is as materially wealthy as the United States, Right. You, this is odd coming from the capitalist, the neo-Austrian mm-hmm. capitalist in a country that is as wealthy as the United States. He says there is no reason that there cannot be some sort of social safety net mm-hmm. right? for those who do have who uh, owing to any number of circumstances sure. right, find themselves socially moving downwards. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And this happens for all kinds of reasons, right? And and so not always necessarily bad, right? So, you know, when the automobile was invented, a lot of horse and buggy stable people, they all found themselves out of a job. Sure. Right? I'm not sure that you would want to say just for the sake of preserving those people's jobs that we should all give up automobiles, right? And mm-hmm. go back to, you know, so so sometimes, so something like automation, or even mm-hmm. we talk about the division of labor, the more market maybe gets specialized if it does something really well, right? So some people, this is this is how they kind of end up end up out of a job, right? Yeah. Now the question is, what do you what can you do concretely about that? Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, uh, and this is where you do have to start being very careful because you also have to worry about the problem of incentivizing, or maybe I'll phrase it like this: disincentivizing further effort. Mm-hmm. Right. There are certain again, you talk about, well, if, if the state comes in and is mandating X, Y and Z or providing all sorts of assistance, mm-hmm. you actually are incentivizing people to not go back to school or not learn a new mm-hmm. trade or not do X, mm-hmm. Y or Z. Right. But to just stay on public assistance. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seems like some political parties are making that their entire <laughs> platform. Right. Like, hey, we'll, But that comes back to this idea of, well, does the state really like. Mm-hmm. Talk about, yeah, they're, they're uh, you know, I guess you could say that they're helping people meet a, a certain material level of good, a certain mm-hmm. level of, of material goods, but in the end, not really, right? Mm-hmm. You're actually sort of corroding that, that uh, they call it the human spirit, right? This idea mm-hmm. of us being rational animals that can mm-hmm. look at problems and mm-hmm. apply solutions to given problems, right? This is, and this is the spirit of entrepreneurship. Some mm-hmm. people, some people fail. Uh, this is this is true, right? And in a society that's as wealthy as ours, right? There's there are things that we can do about that. Right? Mm-hmm. Can uh, I? Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm man. thinking about this downward mobility, and I I maybe want to question more fundamentally if it's really a problem the way we're suggesting it is. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good to move down. Everyone knows that, but uh, I think it's a sort of natural consequence of anything, just like having the freedom to think is and there's a natural consequence that you might judge falsely, but mm-hmm. there's, there's no problem with that. Um, and, and you get, I'm, I'm imagining situations of like uh, Rockefeller going up against, you know, the other railroad guys and as provided mm-hmm. that he doesn't do anything that's like um, underhanded. 
Uh, like he's not setting dynamite on their bridges or mm, something like sure, that, you know, right. and he just, he just outsmarts them because he's a better railroad man. He runs a more efficient railroad. He gets mm. product to people cheaper. Mm. Um, he should win and mm. we win when he wins. Right. Mm. Um, and the other guy is going to go down, right. He's not going to own railroads anymore, um, no. but we, we're not putting him in a cardboard box necessarily. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, we were, we if, were talking about railroad magnets. We were talking about blacksmiths, but yes. Yeah. All right. All right. But <laughs> in any case, right. You're as long as there is a, I, I do think there's a certain responsibility that a polis has because it's necessary for the common good to produce as much as possible an arrangement where people can secure a livelihood. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Not not necessarily guarantee it. I don't know that we have to go that far because there's lots of reasons why mm-hmm. somebody could through their own pure yeah. imperfection fail to mm-hmm. fail yeah. to make it right. But um the guy the guy who was a blacksmith and isn't a blacksmith anymore wishes he was a blacksmith still, but he's he's not dying. I think mm-hmm. that's what I would want to put forward is that as long as he has opportunity to mm-hmm to to feed himself uh great maybe the only problem is that uh there are other goods that we would i think assign normally to to people like the good of marriage and family and i think that's a that's a pretty contentious one is that i think most people will be able to find a way to feed themselves no matter Mm -hmm. how far they fall um but but that raising a family today is quite hard um and that maybe you maybe there's a safety net somewhere above the cardboard box that uh, you have <laughs> sure. to, you have to yeah, set yeah. so that people can still raise a family, but, but then you start run, maybe running into problems. I don't know. I'm not sure there's a question in there, but that's what I was thinking about is that maybe I mean, it's, it's not, maybe it's not it's, so bad yeah, to have this yeah. downward mobility po- possibility. It's not so bad until you go beyond the limits. You, you mean, you put in the limit, you put in a safety net, right? And so, yeah, it's not so bad if there's a safety net. And I will also say just as a principle, Like if you put a floor on that downward mobility, then yeah, it's not so bad. Um, if there's no floor, then it can be really bad, and I think ultimately probably gets close to unjust in unjust in some in some cases. Mm-hmm. And I would also say, just as a matter of, um, hmm, I would rather make sure that I'm feeding the orphans and the widows. Even if that means I, I I do support a couple of layabouts, you know, like I, I'm not happy about there being a couple of layabouts, but you're talking about sort of like tolerating certain evils to prefer to, you know, yeah, like all things considered, if a couple, you know, lazy people are just going to take advantage of the system, okay, right? And some uh, people are some people are always going to take advantage of the system <laughs> right, in any respect. That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, Even we're talking about upwards, downwards. upwards, downwards uh, yeah, people are always right. are always going to take advantage of that. That's it's kind of like with uh, you know any kind of charitable endeavor. Of course, that's a little different than what we've been talking about. But you know, like our our parish gives away a ton of food, right? Um, and you know, like you know, if you ask the priest about it. Are there probably some people there who don't really, you know, and yeah, but I mean, there's so many people who do need it. Who cares? You know, that's kind of on them, you know? Um, So I would say, uh, so because, because we're talking about this, I was looking the other day at a number of uh, like comparisons between like, so Mm. from the 1960s to today adjusted for inflation for today's dollars. Right. And and it's true that right. Things are just vastly more expensive now 
right? Like the, mm -hmm. the cost of the cost of a truck in 1963 would in today's dollars would have been about 20, the average cost about $20,000. Whereas today it's closer to 60, right? The average house in 1963 would have been about $165,000 in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. Whereas today the average is about 400,000, mm -hmm. right? Whatever. Mm -hmm. Now there are things, right? At the same college education, all of it, but mm -hmm. every one of those things, when you kind of, uh, first of all, some of the amenities are better, right? Mm -hmm. Today's trucks have airbags and, you know, seatbelts, air conditioning, all the things that the truck in 1963 didn't have, mm -hmm. houses are bigger and whatnot. There are a lot but bigger. in a number of other instances though, you have excessive, let's say government regulations mm -hmm. that are driving up the prices of some of these things. Sure. Right. Yeah. Or when you and when you talked about, you know, charitable contributions or would you rather support, you know, the orphans and the widows and maybe a couple of couple of layabouts, they kind of, you know, get in under the door, as it were. Uh, it still remains true. Again, if you're just looking at in general, that sense of mechanism, how how do we do this best? Mm -hmm. Still seems like market economies. Right. And even when you do stuff like yeah. even when you do things like uh, so sometimes we do have to incentivize this. Right? This is why we have charitable mm. tax write offs for, right. for businesses or whatever. Right. But because they because some of them are out pursuing profit. Mm. Well, then they, it happens as a kind of a side effect. They're also able to help with these other instances. Mm. Sure. Far better than it seems like in other concrete examples. State interference might be able to. Right. And that's where I, I still keep kind of coming back again, just to the notion of the mechanism for the proportion of, of means mm -hmm. to, to ends. Mm -hmm. It still seems like no matter, no matter where your, your, the goal is, it seems like, and I, I know that this, this is an argument sometimes I hear in favor of free markets. I don't know that I would want to lean into it too heavily, but part of it seems true um, is that even the miser, even Ebenezer Scrooge, since it's Christmas time, uh, right? If he wants to make his fortune, keep his fortune, whatever, he still has to provide some sort of service that people want or mm -hmm. need or something or like want, that. And this, yeah, 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 right? Want, need, whatever, right? That this, that you even, and they'll say, oh, which, well, may, you know, which may not be good, right? This goes back to Joe's point earlier, right? Might that, not be. You know, and, and that's where you can't leave out that formal part of the common good, right? That, this is know, true. That, that uh um and i yeah definitely. you know i mean you could be a very you could be a very uh effective pornographer and you know you're really good at you know yeah. you know distributing that material and yep. there people want it yeah you know, <laughs> you yeah. know? But yeah uh, and, and that's and that notion of the truly good soul, right there right? that this is that this is blatantly against right something mm -hmm. like human flourishing even in yeah. the even the secular world knows this right i mean you sure see, like the studies about what it does to your brain mm -hmm. and everything right mm -hmm. that yeah. this is clearly just this is this is against human flourishing and so there shouldn't <laughs> there shouldn't be a market for that uh, right i, I like uh, to your point earlier i know we've gone long here just kind of maybe move towards wrapping up but uh i liked your point earlier too about um different circumstances uh maybe different economic arrangements you know, we've talked about scales here. You kind of go backwards and forward. You know, maybe some some situations need a little more command. Some situations you need a, a little. You know, you need more market. Uh, that kind of uh, thing. It's it strikes me that kind of a lot like political regimes. Yeah. In most cases, because there's no one regime. This is one of the things that I think is brilliant. I love about Aristotle. 
Uh, he doesn't say there's just one regime that's always the best, right? He doesn't have an ideal state, really, right? It's the it's really for these people, this regime is better, and this regime is better. But most of the time, right, it'll be a polity or some form of mixed regime, right? Uh, will be the best kind of regime, right? And as as sort of milk toasty as this might sound, I'm, I'm kind of recently kind of been thinking that. Most of the time, some sort of mixed economy is what we end up arguing for. Uh, and then we kind of push one way or the other. I doubt there are very many complete libertarians. I'm sure that there are, and you can find them, but certainly there are not a lot of them, right? Um, almost everybody I know who's even, you know, goes to the Acton Institute or even goes to Von Mises, right? Institute, right? Will still, you know, want uh, a safety net of some sort, you know, and then we argue about the boundaries. Um, one thing that's really interesting is um, the role of Bismarck in, in the creation of the modern welfare state, right? Because in a lot of ways, he developed social welfare programs as a response to what he saw as the threat of socialism in uh, Germany uh, at the time. And he was kind of a conservative, right? And saw these as sort of like a, an alternative, right? <laughs> a backstop against right the... Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. These other things. And I, I kind of <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I've, I've kind of been wondering recently is like. This guy is so terrible to say, don't hate me for saying it, but maybe maybe the social welfare state isn't that bad after all. <laughs> right. No, what I mean by that is a floor, yeah. which we've all talked about. Uh, some forms of social insurance. Right. I'll be less efficient. The nice thing is, you know, it'll be there. Maybe not that great, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and how do you know it's going to be there? Because they can command it. Right. <laughs> it will be there. Um, and, um, you know, that deals with some of the externalities we've been talking about. Right. Yeah. But they're called market externalities. Right. Uh, that, you know, maybe the market does a great job of lots of things and we're happy to have it, especially when it comes to things like pipe tobacco, earphones and glasses and, you know, stuff like that. But that we do still want that we can achieve a lot of that. But we still need it within a a system where there's there's bounds to it. And it is also important that. These markets, there's a reason why laws develop within markets. It's not as if every bureaucrat's just sitting around thinking, oh, damn, what new you know rule can I make up, right? Maybe there are people like that, right? <laughs> but there's a reason that we have laws, right? <laughs> you know, and, and it actually market economies work best within a strong legal structure, Absolutely. right? You know, and so I think, you know, there is, um, there is that sort of, you know, level. And then especially if we're thinking about, our current situation yeah. <laughs> in which we don't have a virtuous culture. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, we might have to think um, yeah. kind of like with the, I mean, you know, our founders said much the same thing about the Republic, uh, right. That is that you can only really have a Republic if we have uh, you know, religious and virtuous people. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're like, I don't have a religious yeah. and virtuous people anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So I sort of wondered, I said, I know we're kind of, you know, wrapping up and, and getting sure. close to that, right? So I would say, one, like, yeah, I, I think I, I agree. Everything I think you, you just said, there are things that why I, uh, and why I take the approach that I do is one, right? There are very few, like, true libertarians that just have this free-for-all sort of 
you know, I, to me, that sure. sort of sounds, that sounds like piracy to me, right? right. It's just absolute <laughs> cutthroat. I'm just going to, I'm going to take whatever I was like, well, that, that doesn't really exist anywhere, right? You have to have a strong legal structure, again, that enforces contracts, mm. that prevents fraud, yeah. right? That, that allows for the justice in exchange. All of that, right? You have to have a, a strong legal framework. The question mm. is, right, is where do you derive the principle for those laws? Mm -hmm. right? And again, I think that only comes from a, a full-throated, substantive view of the mm -hmm. human person sure. and the goodness of yeah. the human person. And one of the things that I also think why, uh, and you, we talked about the, the social safety net, and that's true too, as long as you also keep in mind, right, all of the, it's just been documented over and over and over again, that sometimes government protectionism, that sort of interference, mm -hmm. it's very often counterintuitive. Whereas on the other hand, if you're in a society that is more market-based, Right. You know that to provide for yourself, you need to get out and get back to work. Mm -hmm. right? it, it doesn't promote laziness. It mm -hmm. doesn't promote you know, any of those other sorts of, of, of mentalities or this uh, like la lazy mentalities or, or mm -hmm. um, recipient welfare mentalities, because, you know, well, <laughs> if I don't get up in the morning, if I'm not industrious, if I'm not entrepreneur, mm -hmm. if I don't develop a skill, right, whatever, you're not you're, you're going to end up out on the street. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the threat of that that actually sort of drives that sort of entrepreneurial uh, industrial type, industrial type spirit, right? It, it can help develop virtue in some small respect, at least. Uh, and you mm. see this in the writings of the founders too, in a lot of the, mm. um, oh my goodness, in the Federalist Papers, right? Mm. Uh, so again, it comes back to that notion of having a, having a real good, a real end in mm. mind, and then looking at the mechanism that's actually best going to help you get there. And a lot of that means looking at the facts kind of on the ground. Right. I think some of the, the tired old canards of just, well, repeating like von Mises and, and a lot of, you know, just repeating market economic principles, that doesn't sway people anymore, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Repeating hundred year old papal pronouncements on practical matters when the world is kind of, that was over a hundred years ago now, right? Mm -hmm. I, that's, it's not very helpful, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not, and going back to, you know, again, things like that, it's, it's not going to move the conversation forward in any sort of meaningful respect that's actually going to have mm -hmm. a relevant and practical impact on the way that economics is practiced. I think um, when it comes to like these moral questions, like what sort of system ought we to have or how we ought to run our economy, I think part of the problem, in, it, besides the human good and right, rightly recognizing that part of the problem among navigating Catholic conversations of this is that there's a more deontological ethic uh, from the new uh, ethical thinkers in the JP2 school and its sort of progeny that they just want laws given to them, right? Top from the top, like this is what Leo said, mm -hmm. let's abide mm -hmm. by it. This is what is good, right? They want it to be uh, simple, but in practical matters, it's not always so simple and that sometimes yeah. the material considerations really do change yeah. what's mm -hmm. right in a situation. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I, like, I mean, more and more, like when I think about my own political line, I try to say, I, I kind of almost want to say uh, something like, I'm a prudentialist. Like, is that a position? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you yeah. know, like, I'm fickle. I change my mind all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> just really, I mean, it's also circumstantial. It's not that it's also circumstantial. The principles, the eternal law, divine law, natural law, permanent and abiding. But, you know, at the same time, this the the space between i would say the natural law and the ground 
yeah is a, is wider than people think you know like <laughs> yeah, yeah. getting from okay here's the i know the natural law principles you know pretty well getting from there right even maybe having a well-developed idea of the common good it's going to look different in, uh, like 13th century norway yeah. then it's going to look in 21st century america you know wildly different right um and and that you know i think that you know prudence and virtue give you the space in which to navigate them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well that's great Phil. thanks so much uh for your yeah. insights uh yeah. and for you know sharing uh what your your research with us has a lot of great i mean so many great topics you can keep going uh, this is true yeah. we can do this all we afternoon. should keep going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you for yeah thank you for having me this is this has been uh, wonderful talking to you guys about this so. and i, I enjoy it excellent thanks joe for uh, participating uh everybody in our audience thanks for listening uh we really appreciate it uh, please do make sure that you, uh, if you haven't done so yet, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, hit the like button, and uh, do all those other good social media things you're supposed to do. Uh, thanks so much. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>